Welcome to the new reality edition of Bite Marks Cafe right here on Hawaii Public Radio where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. First up, uh, we'll have John Nash, and he's the associate professor over at the University of Kentucky, and uh, he's here to tell us about an upcoming event sponsored by Funder Hui, and it's uh, about chat GPT and philanthropy. And uh, then we'll be joined by Hiro, Hiro Toya, from the Department of Emergency Management, and we also got Matt Gonzer from the city's Office of Climate Change, Sustainability, and Resilience. And, of course, we'll talk about the weather and, of course, how those changes impact our hurricane season. But now I do want to welcome John Nash calling in all the way from Kentucky. And as I said before, he's the Associate Professor of Educational Leadership Studies over at the University of Kentucky. And and he's got an interesting topic that he's going to be hosting. And, John, I want to welcome you to Bite Marks Cafe. Thanks, Bert. It's really great to be here. Thanks for having me. And thanks for uh, staying up late to call in and uh, be, a, be, a, be a guest on uh, Bite Marks Cafe. Now, John, tell me, what uh, for some of our listeners that might not be familiar with Thunderhui, what is Thunderhui? And, and then maybe we can then get into like the... the uh, the talk that you're going to be doing actually tomorrow. So what's Funder Hui first up? Yeah, well, Funder Hui serves Hawaii's philanthropic community. Mm-hmm. They're the first association of funders uh, and are known as a philanthropy, philanthropy-serving organization, or mm-hmm. CSO. And so they are an organization that brings together the philanthropic community in the island uh, to think about uh, equity implications for funding, uh, redefining what it means to be a funder, thinking about how to ha- increase participation amongst the uh, grantees and, and applicants that come into the funders, uh, and then elevate also some unique innovations that the islands offer the world. So they're, they're a pretty cool organization. That's great. And and how did an uh, associate professor in, in the, at the University of Kentucky get kind of hooked up with Funder Hui here in Hawaii? Yeah, that's a fair question. Uh, well, uh, I'm uh, I'm friends with uh, Josh Rapoon, who is uh, known uh, in the islands as someone who hosts, hosts the What School Could Be podcast mm-hmm. and is also uh, involved with Funder Hui. And he introduced me to uh, the uh, folks over at Funder Hui and, uh, because they're interested in serving their philanthropic community members uh, on the topic of AI and chat GPT. So we're going to talk about that tomorrow in a webinar. Well, that's great. And, and uh, of course, uh, I've, I've had Josh on the show t- uh, talking exactly about what uh, you just described. So that's, that's a great connection. So ChatGPT, uh, I think everybody is hearing about it. And when I saw that you folks are going to be doing kind of this uh, learning circle about ChatGPT and philanthropy, I thought, wow, i got to get you guys on and talk about. So what is it that you've been sort of focusing in on chat gpt is it is it the extinction extinction event or what 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 is your kind of position on on this whole ai uh expand expansive sort of uh involvement with with every every regular person in on the planet now yeah well i i have a i have a pretty balanced view on it but maybe i'm a little progressive because i i don't take the notion that this is an extinction event. I think it's, a, it's more of an opportunity. Um, I'm in the education business. I actually prepare public school principals by day and mm-hmm. also doctoral students who want to be leaders of educational organizations. And um, I'm using ChatGPT myself as a teaching tool 
to help my students think more clearly about the topics they're writing on, to take on uh, issues that they're not clear about and want to think more deeply about them. So we're seeing it as an opportunity uh, and not really a, a tool for cheating, which is really sort of giving too much press in my opinion. So this is a good, this is a question, John. I mean, what do you recommend your students do as opposed to taking the question that you, may, you might pose to them and just plopping it into ChatGPT? How do you tell them to use it in a more constructive manner? Well, I, I work with them to use it in a way in which we work on it together. So um, I'll even ask them to do actually what you just said, which is I'll have them cheat in advance, if mm-hmm, you will. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'll ask them to say, I want you to take this question that we're talking about, and I want you to feed it to ChatGPT, and I want you to come back and tell me what you thought of the answer it gave you. And let's discuss whether it was right or wrong and how you might actually expand your thinking because of this or how you might respond to it because it's limited in some other kind of way. Well, that's great. And, and so what is the connection with ChatGPT and philanthropy? Uh, and, and, or maybe you know, that's just a teaser so that people can attend the, uh, attend the session tomorrow. Yeah, well, I think there are some connections. And the, the, I think it's also important, Bert, to think about the fact that ChatGPT is but one of the products that's put out by these companies that mm-hmm. are using large language models to uh, put these tools out to the market. So we've got, of course, the, the, the big one in the room, ChatGPT, but also uh, Bing Chat by Microsoft is out there. And if people don't want to pay for ChatGPT4, which costs 20 bucks a month, if you want to get it from OpenAI, the company that mm-hmm. uh, made ChatGPT, you can have that level of responsiveness with Bing Chat for free. Uh, they have three conversation styles. One is called more creative, more balanced, and more precise. And the more creative conversation style is actually ChatGPT4. Oh. Oh. Um, then, of course, there's Bard by Google, which is not getting as much uh, positive press, I think, as they like. It's not as creative or as responsive as mm. the other ones. And then a newer one that's out is called Claude. And that is uh, out by a company called Anthropic. And they are trying to have a a beneficence model uh, using a constitutional AI model that allows it to try to uh, give answers that are more um, socially appropriate but still accurate and creative. Well, you know, go ahead, John. Talk about philanthropy, though, yeah, but yeah. You know, so I wanted to ask, you know, a lot of great information that you're going to be sharing, and you're probably going to get into a lot more detail tomorrow. Where can people find out more about this? uh, learning circle that you guys are hosting? Um, they can visit Funder Hui's uh, website at uh, funderhui.org. And we're going to talk about the impact of AI on philanthropy, how to enhance grant making with AI tools, and also look at some ways in which we might decenter writing and communication. A lot of groups that don't apply for funding because they rely on more oral traditions or are not really comfortable about doing the complex grant application. We're going to talk about ways in which AI can support people to bring them into the funding circle that they might have not already been inside. Very good. Mahalo, John, for joining us. Uh, thanks very much. Appreciate you very much. And I'll put the link on the show notes for later on. Of course, we'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Hiro Toya from the city and county of Honolulu's Department of Emergency Management. And we've got Matt Gonzer from the city's Office of, of Climate Change and Sustainability and Resilience. A lot of words that i got to <laughs> say. And, of course, uh, uh, we'll talk about weather change and the impact on the hurricane season. This is Bite Marks Cafe.
Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, Bavarian Motor Experts, and Chaminade University. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe on Hawaii Public Radio. And, of course, I'm happy to welcome back to the show maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe how many, I don't know how many years it's been, but Toy, uh, Hiro Toya from uh, DEM, and we got Matt Gonzer, Executive Director from the City's Office of Climate Change and Sustainability and Resilience. I want to welcome you both to uh, Bite Marks Cafe. Thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having us. Thanks, Bert. And, of course, uh, we're entering into hurricane season, and I think uh, the last time I talked about it uh, was right before the the Weather Service came out with their announcement, and, and maybe... Uh, uh, Hero, why don't you give us give us the the recap? What what did the, what did they con- con- conclude? And I guess how do they come up with their assessments? You know, I, I mean, it's like above average, average. I mean, what what is it that they know that has informed what they had then shared with everybody else? Yeah, so we got the announcement a couple weeks ago. So mm-hmm. uh, the twenty twenty three Central Hurricane uh, Central Pacific Hurricane season, we're looking at four to seven tropical cyclones uh, entering into the central Pacific waters. So, you know, average year, there's uh, about four to five tropical cyclones. Um, last couple of years, it's been pretty quiet, right? Mm-hmm. So each, right. Each, uh, each season for the last two years, we only had one storm each. Then going back to 2020, um, we had two storms. Now, you know, the, Noah gives us this prediction, but at the end of the day, you know, the, our work doesn't really change because all it takes is one storm, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. 2020, uh, it was during COVID, and I think a lot of people recall we had Hurricane Douglas. Mm-hmm, and right. that was, you know, quite a season. We only had two storms, but one came very, very close to impacting us. And compare that to 2015, that was an extremely busy hurricane season. Uh, there were 16 storms in the Central Pacific, but none of them came really anywhere near Hawaii. So you just really never know. Uh, that was an El Nino year when the uh, Pacific waters were a little bit warmer, contributing to a busier hurricane season. Mm-hmm, but, you know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, right? Like it really doesn't matter uh, what the prediction is. Um, we still got to be prepared. And and uh, you know maybe Matt, you know what is it that the the folks that know? I mean, what do they what do they look at? And and I don't know. At a high level, you got these uh, sort of global weather changes going from El Nino to uh, well La Nina to El Nino. Uh, what is it that the Weather Service or, or NOAA looks for in terms of uh, informing the model? Sure, and maybe just to start with that, that cycle that you mentioned, right? El Nino and La Nina. These are um, climate patterns that actually uh, you know, affect the Pacific Ocean or the criteria to define El Nino, La Nina mm-hmm. has to do with conditions and criteria in the Pacific. But those cycles actually affect weather worldwide. Mm-hmm. And somewhat, you know, straightforward and simple, El Nino and La Nina refer to sort of a warm phase or a cold phase within the tropical Pacific and how the air and the ocean temperature changes and how wind patterns change will ultimately determine whether we're in a neutral condition, El Nino condition, or a La Nina condition. And that can then have consequences or impacts to us here in the Pacific, but also even in the Atlantic. And it somewhat seesaws back and forth between sort of the activity. And those are patterns that have existed for, you know, millennia. These are global climate Mm -hmm. patterns, Mm -hmm. and um, they're not new. 
but climate change is also an underlying change in our baseline conditions that then in those cycles of El Nino or La Nina can have even more severe activity because of the changing baseline conditions as a result of human-caused climate change. So, so Matt, you know, over the last couple of years, uh, we were in a kind of a La Nina uh, period of time. Is that correct? Uh, as far as I understand, yeah, that's correct. So we haven't actually tipped over officially into El Nino. You know, um, we get the same updates and information that you all do mm-hmm. from NOAA and the Weather Service. Mm-hmm. And there's a prediction or a forecast that towards the summer or towards the latter end of the year, we will officially trigger El Nino. And again, these criteria include the average sea surface temperature in our region um, and some combination of strong or weak normal easterly trade winds, Mm -hmm. sort of cloudiness and rainfall activity over Indonesia and the air pressure or potential cloudiness and and rainfall in the eastern basin, right? The Pacific is is big, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And and it's not uniform all throughout. You know, when the wind is blowing normal, it's blowing a lot of the ocean volume towards the western Pacific. When the trade winds slow down, that water, it's like in a bathtub, it's sloshing back. And that's when we can even get localized, elevated ocean levels around us. We can get warmer waters. That's the kind of stuff that fuels the normal hurricane patterns. But we know with climate change, the air is getting hotter, the ocean is getting hotter, Mm -hmm. and that can fuel the kinds of storms that we need to continue to prepare for. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, Hiro, you mentioned, I think it was back in, what, 2015, there were like uh, 16 hurricanes or tropical storms in, in the Pacific uh, was that a El Nino year? That was an El Nino year. Um, but again, you know, it's, it really doesn't tell us what the impact is going to be to Hawaii in terms of storms actually hitting us, right? Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. You know, I think um, you look back to 1992 when Hurricane Iniki hit uh, Kauai. Mm-hmm. That, was a, that was a neutral year. Um, mm-hmm. but it was a pretty busy season where we had, uh, I believe, uh, 12 hurricanes entering into the uh, Central Pacific. Yeah, and, and so... I think you also mentioned that it doesn't really, I mean, it, uh, it does have an impact in terms of how you perhaps uh, prepare, but at the end of the day, your preparation doesn't really change whether it's a El Nino or La Nina year, right? I mean, from a, from a DEM standpoint, it's always being prepared regardless of the of the, Absolutely. Yeah, and it's, the it's global the same situation the public as well to always be prepared you know regardless of what that outlook is all it takes is one storm so definitely want to make sure everybody's as prepared as they can be and and uh you know Matt in terms of uh this coming year i mean i guess the prediction was a little bit above average so instead of 4 to 5 it's like 4 to 7 uh does that does that really change anything from the public's perspective. I mean, what would what would you suggest that we really kind of pay attention to? I would say listen to Hero and the, 30s, okay. the city's <laughs> Department of Emergency Management. Right, they are the official. You know, you can sign up for notifications. You can you can be informed. There is a, a wealth of information and resources at their website honolulu.gov/dem. Mm-hmm. But really, and and also to be clear, right, the prediction is not four to seven potential storms in and around Hawaii. It's for the, the, the Central Pacific, right? It's a big basin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, right. So that certainly is important for the public to know that just because something doesn't come around us doesn't mean NOAA and the Weather Service were wrong in their forecast. And it is just a forecast that helps decision makers, 
people, communities think about the kinds of preparation that need, they need to take. And the best way to ensure community resilience is to practice preparation and to talk about preparation. So we appreciate the opportunity to join you today. Yeah, no, and, and you know, I think uh, it's a good time to uh, go over that preparation. And, and Hiro, you know, you've been doing this for quite a while. I mean, there was a point in time when I was at the city, and, you know, this is, this is um, not only an annual exercise because, you know, Makani Pahili is something that takes place every year that is, is uh, a combination. It could be a, a tabletop exercise or it could be an actual, you know, exercise. But, Hiro, I mean, maybe describe what, is, what does DEM do in the course of the, you know, the, let's say the schedule of the year? How do you guys start to plan out your activities during the course of, let's say, you know, from uh, January to May and then now you're entering into June and now you go June to November? I mean, what, what is it that you guys do from a planning standpoint over the course of that year? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a year-round activity, and it's not just, um, you know, leading up into hurricane season in May. But, uh, you know, we continue to work with all the other city departments. You know, my department is, uh, we only have 16 employees, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. our role is really the uh, the coordinators and conveners and to work with all the other city departments, also state agencies, nonprofits, um, private sector organizations to help, help us all plan together. And we always say it takes the whole community. Um, it's not really just about government doing stuff. You know, uh, we, we need to be really leveraging all the resources and partners that are available to us. So, you know, really, I think um, our activity does ramp up uh, leading up in the hurricane season. And, uh, you know, it does culminate in that uh, Makani Pahili exercise that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been a statewide hurricane preparedness exercise since the year after Hurricane Iniki. And the only year we didn't have it was in 2018 uh, when we were dealing with uh, flood response both on Oahu and Kauai and also lava response on the Big Island. Mm-hmm. So there's way too many real-world incidents going on. That was the only year that we didn't have this uh, statewide exercise. So for this year, uh, we, we looked at um, uh, several different components. Um, first was on our emergency operations center. So that's the uh, physical location that we have for the city in which uh, we basically um, make all the strategic decisions during large-scale emergencies. And so we did a simulation with the, uh, the state's emergency operations center uh, to ensure there's um, a smooth connectivity in terms of communication, but um, just running through some scenarios and uh, what types of uh, information might need, be, need to be passed between the two, uh, uh, two operation centers yeah. and also how we request for assistance uh, when uh, our capabilities are overwhelmed, essentially. So you know, we did that with the state earlier, um, uh, back, in, back in earlier in May. And then we continue to work with our city uh, agencies, going over our hurricane response plans, training with the National Weather Service, kind of understanding the science of hurricanes a little better. Mm-hmm. Um, this week we've been doing a, a shelter manager training. Mm-hmm. So in the event that we need to open uh, hurricane evacuation shelters, uh, we have city employees that are trained and uh, ready to, to to go and take on that. This, you know, we looked at look at this as a really a public safety mission that um, the city has an obligation to the public to perform. So, um, associated with that, uh, you kind of mentioned, you know, there's some uh, sort of simulation and tabletop components, but some uh, kind of hands-on type components. So, um, in fact, tomorrow we're going to be actually looking at um, the the logistics support for these shelters. Uh, so, we're working with several departments on how we deploy our uh, shelter supplies and kits uh, during emergencies. Mm-hmm, you know, we, mm-hmm. If we have to open a couple dozen shelters, you know, what does that look like in terms of a logistics standpoint of getting these 
applies from a warehouse to uh, to the shelter location. So. Um, number of activities that we engage in with uh, not only the city, um, but with state departments and nonprofits, um, and really ramping up uh, over the last few weeks here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, I do want to kind of talk about uh, some of the new tools that you might have incorporated into uh, each, you know, each subsequent year. I mean, as you go through these exercises, as you go through. Uh, hurricane season. Are there new tools that you bring to the table? So what we'll do is hold that thought. We'll be right back at this short break to continue our conversation with Hirotoya from the Department of Emergency Management. And we got Matt Gonzer from the city's Office of Climate Change, Sustainability, and Resilience. We're talking about the weather changes and the impact on the hurricane season. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe on HPR One. I'm Bert Lam. If you're just joining us, we're talking to Hiro Toya from the Department of Emergency Management, and we also have Matt Gonzer, Executive Director over at the City's Office of Climate Change, Sustainability, and Resilience. And right before the break, Hiro, you were telling us all about the the, the activities that you uh, take part in or help to convene and coordinate. Are there any new tools or new lessons that you've learned over the years that are getting incorporated? Uh, You talked about logistics a little bit. I mean, what are some of the things that perhaps make logistics better uh, in this year, 2023, uh, than in previous years? Yeah, you know, I think for us, we've been uh, gradually improving our sort of information management tools. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's a, as you might imagine, you know, there's a number of pieces of information that we need to retain, like, you know, locations of shelters, for instance, um, and inventory of stuff, right? Like, what what are the inventory of things that we have? Um, in addition to that, things like, um, you know, we, we have a number of partners for, for whom we have to keep uh, track of contact information. So, um, we have made some improvements in terms of our information and uh, information and communications management. Um, so I'm pretty excited to have uh, some new tools on our end. You know, it's really um, part of it is going to be public facing. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, when when you go to our website, for instance, um, we have a, a tsunami sign installation project going on right now. Um, the the geographic locations of those signs, um, as well as status updates. You know, we're, we're using uh, the same new information management tool to do that which actually translates into some graphics that we can display on our website uh, showing real-time information. So, you know, just um, some uh, information management tools on our end that's mm-hmm. really made uh, our operations a lot smoother and our lives uh, a little bit easier. No, that's great. And, and Matt, you know, I, I don't know if I've had an opportunity to actually have you on talking more about your office. And, and, and maybe what is, what is the connection between your work in climate change and sustainability resilience, which is... I would guess, and maybe you can correct me, might be a little longer-term vision uh, for Hawaii. But how does it how does it interact, or uh, let's say, integrate with the kind of near-term stuff that that the hero works on? Yeah, that's a great question, Bert. And and climate change can be big, confusing, ambiguous, and overwhelming. Mm-hmm. But it's not a thing unto itself. You know, these these weather patterns, these natural hazards that Hero mentioned that we typically are trying to do pre-event mitigation mm-hmm, and right. preparation for, climate is changing those hazards and both their frequency and their intensity. So there's, there's a lot of climate science that 
is being incorporated into how we think about hazard mitigation and preparations and what households, individuals can do, what government needs to think about in terms of infrastructure. So similar to HERO, we're, we're at a coordinating and bring resources to bear position within the city, and we partner quite a bit with DEM uh, to make sure that they are positioned to respond to the events, but that we're also learning about those events to make sure that we're better prepared moving forward, but also acknowledging that we have with some certainty what the future will look like in the near term, especially around increasing ocean levels, sea level mm -hmm. rise, and increasing temperatures, and what kinds of additional impacts those will bring when storms come, right? If there's a hurricane and the ocean's higher, those waves can come in more. Um, mm -hmm. The air is warmer. It can hold more moisture, and that means it can also let go of that moisture mm -hmm. in a more extreme event. And even though we're focusing on hurricane season, rightfully, as we just stepped into it, Hiro mentioned it's it's year-round discussions. Just because we're potentially entering an El Nino year doesn't mean something like a La Nina isn't uh, a cycle that we can ignore. Mm -hmm. We actually get more extreme rain during La Nina events historically because of cooler Kona storms and heavy rainfalls from that time of year. Most of the impacts that we've seen on Oahu haven't been during hurricane season the past several years. Mm -hmm. They've been from some of these January, February, December winter storms. So across the board, it's just acknowledging what can happen, empowering ourselves and being clear-eyed, open, and honest with community, and then committing to the actions to prepare ourselves for the changes. Well, that's, that's great. And, and uh, you know, you mentioned prepare. So from a, from a preparation standpoint, Hero, uh, has, has more, let's say, I don't know, hurricane shelters been, been activated or, or set up? I know schools are oftentimes designated as uh, shelters. What is the prevailing, I guess, philosophy on what kinds of shelters are, are necessary during these kinds of uh, uh, potential disaster events? Yeah, so currently we have um, 38 facilities identified that can perform as potentially as uh, what we call hurricane refuge areas. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the truth of the matter is uh, most of these facilities weren't really designed or built to withstand hurricane force winds, right? Uh -huh. um, they are going to perform better than most of the, uh, the single wall construction homes. Mm -hmm. um, they are out of flood zones. and They are out of storm surge zones. So, you know, we... Um, know that vast majority of fatalities and injuries that occur from hurricanes are related to water. So if we can get people out of the harm's way from water, um, we do feel that we can actually provide for the safety of folks. But at the end of the day, you know, these facilities um, do have some vulnerabilities that people should be aware of. So, you know, we, we actually continue to encourage folks to the extent possible to uh, look for alternative ways of protecting themselves, including retrofits to homes. Mm -hmm. um, without getting into a whole, I know we're going to run out of time, but we're estimating that about 64% of single-family homes on Oahu are without any kind of hurricane wind mitigation measures. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of homes that are potentially vulnerable. Um, and doesn't mean that those homes are destined to, to you know, fail in any kind of hurricane event, but there are things that folks can do to protect themselves. There's excellent resources from the uh, UHC Grant College Program, um, the homeowner's handbook to uh, preparing for natural hazards. There's some like do-it-yourself kind of guides on how to add hurricane clips and things like that. Mm -hmm. And also mm -hmm. how to you know, protect your windows, right? Um, these aren't things that you want to be doing during the middle of a storm, but when there's blue skies, you, you want to take advantage of that and uh, take some mitigation measures. So, and, you know, just finally, like this, 
insurance, right? If you have a mortgage, you know, your bank might require you to have certain types of insurance. Um, but if, even if you aren't required to, and yes, there is a cost, you know, that's something that we should really consider in terms of, you know, how do you want to protect likely your most valuable asset, your home, right? right, so, you know, right. Talk to an insurance agent or go to DCCA's website. they got some excellent resources to explain the different types of insurance. So, Hiro, what's the uh, website link that I could uh, share with everybody? Yeah, so um, there's def- a lot of information on our website at honolulu.gov slash DEM. Very good. Hiro Toya is the director of the Department of Emergency Management over to the city and county of Honolulu. Matt Gonser is the executive director, chief resilience officer at the city's Office of Climate Change, Sustainability, and Resilience. I want to thank them all for joining us today. And, of course, thank you for listening to Bite Mars Cafe. Join us next week when we're here about the Residence for Innovative Student Entrepreneurs on RISE. If you miss any part of this edition, you can find a podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email me at bitemarks at gmail.com. Our engineer is David Chong. You can catch us on HPR1 every Wednesday or anytime on the HPR app. And, of course, in the meantime, you stay safe. You stay awesome. We'll see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.